So tonight we're going to hear mostly from Brene Brown. Um, I had a few inquiries as to whether Brene might actually physically be here tonight. And uh, sadly, no, she won't be. Um, so that, that was not a deliberate ruse to try and get people here. Um, and so I've got a seven minute podcast that I'm going to try and play off this soundbar here. So hopefully you can hear it all. Um, essentially in which Brene kind of provides a background and a context to compassion. And so the theme for tonight is, is compassion as a spiritual practice. And so uh, we're going to listen to Brene and then I'll kind of wrap it in a bit of theology and we'll have a discussion like we do, but probably um, not necessarily strictly around questions. So I'm going a little bit old school this week. We're going to do, I'm going to start sticking up butcher's paper on the wall. Um, I feel especially hipster tonight in a cafe uh, with butcher's paper. What more could you want? So here we go. Let's, let's hope that this is going to work. Here's Brene. I want to address a question I get a lot in my research. This is the definition I use for compassion. Recognizing the light and dark in our shared humanity, we commit to practicing loving kindness with ourselves and others in the face of suffering. This is the struggle with compassion. Compassion is not a default response because in order to practice compassion, you have to be able to recognize the darkness in you and in other people. And to me, this is the gift of middle age. It really is, this is the gift of middle age. If you come at me and you are all unicorns and bows and lightness, you scare me. We went back to this idea of rising strong, the revolution is an in integration. Integration is probably the most important developmental milestone that we have to work through in midlife. I call it Brene's home for wayward girls. I have to bring back all those versions of myself into one integrated self. I remember when I first started going to church, I went and bought like four outfits. And we went back for the same reasons a lot of people go back. We had kids. I went to Catholic school, so they were raised without any kind of literacy around religion. And we're like, geez, do you think we need to go back to church? So they go to Sunday school. And then I remember going to like Talbot's and I bought like five outfits. And Steve would say, you walk so funny at communion because that's who I was supposed to be. You wear that to church, like a little pantsuit or something. And so I remember thinking, I can't go back and be in church and do these things and be myself. And I remember this whole integration piece of, look, all my girls are going with me to church. You know, my 1980s, crazy, hard drinking, hard living, back of Harley riding, that girl's coming to church with me. My perfect mom is coming to church with me. All these people are coming with me. And that's a big piece. And it's dark and it's light. And that is what shared humanity is. And that's what compassion is. I love Pema Chodron says, compassion is knowing your darkness well enough that you can sit in the dark with others. Isn't that beautiful? Knowing your darkness well enough that you can sit in the dark with others. And so many times what we think of compassion is, is I see you and you're suffering. So the first thing I'm going to do is flip on as many lights as I can flip on. That's not about being compassionate with you. That's about my own discomfort of sitting in the dark with you. You know, and so I don't think until we can recognize that, yeah, there's a pretty gritty underbelly on all of us. And that that's what it means to be human. And hopefully we don't act from it and hopefully we understand it. But to me, that's a big piece of what compassion is. And if you don't know your darkness, like I always like to say, if you don't have a good stripe on you, like a candy cane, little light, little dark, I don't know that you can do that. People ask me all the time about empathy and the difference between empathy and compassion. And I think compassion is a commitment and a spiritual practice. I think empathy is a tool. 
And I think empathy is the greatest tool of compassion. Empathy is a skill set. I can teach you empathy. I've taught it in a master's social work program for 20 years. You can teach empathy. It is actually four separate skill sets that come together to make empathy. It's staying out of judgment, it's perspective taking, identifying emotion in others and articulating an identified emotion. I mean, it's a skill set. It's not a spiritual practice, it's a tool. I think compassion is the spiritual practice, but I think it's very hard to articulate compassion for people if you don't have some empathy skills. And I think it really does a disservice to people if we don't think it's okay to have a part of compassion that's teachable. We just expect people to show up and be compassionate, but that's like saying to me, hey, the pilot's passed out. You have a lot of frequent flyer miles. Can you take over? <laughs> frequent flyer miles, the number of those do not equate to pilot's license. A deep compassion for humanity does not always equate to the ability to articulate that. So empathy and self-compassion rely heavily on what I would call emotional literacy. And we don't do that, right? We don't teach that. So I think there's a real difference between empathy and compassion. And as it turns out, there are three stories that I think are the most dangerous universal stories that we make up. And those three are stories that question our lovability, our creativity, and our divinity. Just because someone did not have the ability, the capacity, or the willingness to love us has nothing to do with our lovability. Zero. So when we make up stories that call into question our lovability because of experiences we had with someone who couldn't love us, that is a profoundly dangerous story. The second one is our creativity. 85% of men and women we've interviewed over the last 15 years can remember a story from school that was so shaming, it changed how they thought of themselves as learners. 50% of those stories were around creativity, writing, or art. Unused creativity, the whole idea that you're not a creative person, oh yeah, that's fun, I used to be that person too. Like My whole mantra was, Renee, you want to go scrapbook or you want to go this photography? I'm like, that's cute. You go do your ART. I have a J-O-B. Um, you have fun with your stuff. That was my whole approach. And as it turns out, unused creativity is not benign. It metastasizes and turns into grief and shame and judgment and hard things. Because someone did not put value on our work does not change the worthiness of that work or us. So the stories we make up about our creativity are very dangerous. And the last is really about our divinity. There is no person, church, religion, dogma, document that has the right to question our divinity because of who we are, who we love, how we show up. That is not between us and mortal people. That is between us and what we believe. Yeah, it is. And so... What my invitation to you would be is remember, your lovability, your creativity, or your divinity, those things are a part of our inherent worth. We are inherently lovable, we are inherently holy, and we are inherently creative. And people can't take that away from us. It's who we are. How great is Brene? I love her definition of compassion, which is recognizing the light and dark in our shared humanity we commit to practicing loving kindness with ourselves and others in the face of suffering. And she talks about how 
in order to practice compassion, uh, you have to be able to actually recognize the darkness in you and in other people. I've been um, researching recently in my spare time, as you do, the science of sweating blood. It's fascinating. And uh, the medical term is hematidrosis. And, and what happens essentially is that the blood vessels that uh, feed your sweat glands uh, hemorrhage. And when that happens, it causes your sweat glands essentially uh, to exude blood. It's not blood that you would bleed to death with, but basically blood appears on the surface of your skin. And, and essentially, it's, it's a known condition. It's caused by severe mental stress and mental anxiety. Uh, it's a medical condition that um, you may have read in, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the physician, Luke, observes Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and essentially in the penultimate hour before his capture and his torture and his crucifixion, uh, he sweats blood. And what we know about Jesus is that he was no stranger to compassion. In the New Testament, uh, whenever it talks about uh, Jesus being moved with compassion, there's a particular Greek word that's used, and I shared this um, probably a year ago now at the first service for Found. Um, and the word is splachnitzomai. And splachnitzomai essentially means uh, a gut-wrenching, uh, something that is a physical response. It's like a yearning that you feel in the pit of your stomach, splagnitzomai, which is the word, the Greek word uh, that they use whenever it talks about Jesus being moved with compassion. And it's used on a number of occasions uh, to describe his response to the people around him. It's used uh, in the parable of the prodigal son, uh, when the father uh, runs to the son and embraces him, he's, he's moved to the pits of his stomach. And basically, I think this gets to the heart of what Brene is talking about, where uh, there's this sense that compassion is this visceral response. It's this physical response that we have that is actually drawn out of our own experience. It's drawn out of the darkness that we can relate to. A few years ago, I was uh, called to a situation where someone had locked themselves in a room and was essentially uh, self-harming and considering taking their own life and, and they agreed to unlock the door. And I wasn't necessarily trained in dealing with these responses but I just felt not to do anything other than invite myself to sit with them. And so I... I asked if I could sit next to this person and they agreed and it was a dimly lit room, we just sat on the floor and in that moment of just kind of sitting next to this person in their darkness, it was like kind of my darkness connected with theirs and the only response that I could give was to weep. And I just wept uncontrollably for probably an hour and this person sat next to me and wept as well uh, and we just kind of wept together. And then at the end of that time, it felt like forever, I don't really know how long it was, but I think we were in the room all up for a few hours. Uh, we just started chatting and then we prayed and it was kind of this profoundly healing moment for that person and for me. And that person now, this was a number of years ago, is doing phenomenally well and, and we still kind of talk about that time. And 
I think this is where we can begin to understand the idea from Jesus and from Brene Brown that compassion is a spiritual practice. It's the commitment. It's a commitment, as, as Pema Shodron says, it's this commitment to knowing our darkness well enough that we can sit in the darkness with others. And kind of more than even just sitting in the darkness with others, in our shared humanity, we practice loving kindness, which is what Brene talks about. Essentially, as Christians, we worship a God who sweats blood. That's the reality. A a God who understands profound suffering. A God who understands darkness. A God who understands brokenness. A God who understands grief and loss. And so I think that if we believe that human beings are made in the image of God, if we believe that Jesus is God-made flesh then compassion essentially brings us into deeper relationship with God. Compassion brings healing. And this happens not in spite of our humanity. I think in in church and in Christian life, we're kind of scared of humanity. We're scared of brokenness. We're scared of darkness in ourselves and in other people. But I think that compassion brings healing not in spite of our humanity, but essentially through it. And I think increasingly what I love about this community is that we are willing to embrace that. That we're not scared of difficult conversations, we're not scared of people maybe not literally exuding blood, but uh, kind of, you know, in our conversations and what we talk about and how we engage with each other. And so uh, my hope tonight is that we'll kind of continue that conversation around compassion. Um, I'm going to just pray and then we'll kind of kick into that. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you and in you we find the heart of compassion. We find it made real. We find it manifest in human form. I thank you that we are made in the image of God, however that looks and however that outworks itself. I thank you uh, that as such, that we are made in love and for love, that we are made by love and we are made for compassion. And Lord, I just pray that we would understand that a little bit more, that we would understand that a little bit more during the course of our week and that we would begin to understand what it might mean that compassion is a spiritual practice. And my hope and my prayer, Lord, is that this practice would bring us into deeper relationship, deeper relationship with you, deeper relationship with each other, deeper relationship even possibly with our enemies. And may it also bring wholeness and may it bring healing to our lives. Amen. Amen.